Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor John Rasmussen at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Once again, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. So Matthew chapter 2, I have no idea what page number that is. I'm not going to give you the page number because I think this is one of the large print Bibles and the pages are slightly off. Anybody got a page number? 807. There you go. Now, as we're uh, still in this Christmas season, I want you to imagine with me the the scene that many of you uh, have in your mind from Christmas Eve. And, you know, even if you didn't worship here on Christmas Eve, maybe you worshiped in your, uh, the place you grew up in or with friends or family, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that you probably had a candle just like this one, right? And uh, you held it in your hands. And from the, the Christ candle right here, we shared the light of Christ with each of us, and, and we sang a silent night together, right? Is that what you did for Christmas? Probably most of us, right? Even if we weren't here at Holy Cross. It's a really beautiful picture, a reminder for us that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and the darkness has not overcome it, and that we who follow and know Jesus, we too are the light of the world, and we've been given the light of Christ in our hearts. Um, and I would say that, you know, that, that experience that we have in our minds of, of holding that light and singing Silent Night together, it, it's kind of like a, a calm and still moment, right? Unless you have a four or five-year-old who has a candle, then it's a very, like, guarded, what's going to happen moment. Um, but for most of us, it's, it's a calm, silent, kind of reflective moment. Now, I want you to imagine with me, what if all of a sudden somebody started to blow that light out in your candle? What would you do? You probably wouldn't let them do it, right? You'd probably go like this, like, hey, that's my light. Don't blow it. Blow it out. And, you know, as we think about Christmas and, and, and we read the reading here today in Matthew chapter 2, we kind of have this transition from the all is calm, all is bright, silent night, everything's peaceful, to all of a sudden, Christmas is not peaceful anymore. Christmas is actually a battle, a battle between the darkness and the light as the darkness seeks to snuff out the light of Christ in you. And so look with me at Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. So just to give you a little bit of context here in Matthew chapter 1, that is the story of the annunciation of the birth of Jesus and then his birth uh, to Mary and Joseph. And then here in chapter 2, we have the Magi come. We often call them the wise men. Um, By the way, they probably didn't come that very night. Uh, Most nativity scenes are, are flawed in that, that that um, they didn't come that night usually. It was probably later in time, perhaps a year or two later, that the wise men or the magi came to see uh, this King Jesus. But here we have uh, the magi. They're on their way back home. They just have talked to Herod. And Herod has said, hey, tell me where this, this child is because I want to go and worship him. But we know what Herod's up to, right? 
So look with me at verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So do you see how the calm and the peace of Christmas is over? And all of a sudden we are in a battle where the, the darkness is trying to snuff out the light, to destroy the light of Christ that has come into this world. And we know how the story ends. We know that the darkness will not overcome the light, but that the light will overcome the darkness. Even when the darkness does its worst, it's through that darkness seeming to prevail on the cross that God will be extinguishing the darkness through what he does in Christ and his resurrection. And yet, the darkness is still very much present and on the move. And so the question that I want you to wrestle with me today on is this, is if the darkness tried to destroy the Christ born in Bethlehem, won't it also try to attack the Christ born in me, right? You see, that same darkness that motivated Herod to destroy the child Jesus is the same darkness that has a target on you and your faith to destroy and weaken and extinguish the light of Christ in your heart? And this is kind of an unsettling question, right? But it's something we need to be aware of. The Christian life is often described as a battle. It's a battle between the old person and the new person, between the spirit of Christ and the spirit of this age, between the power of God and the power of Satan. And so you as the baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you are in the heat of this battle. And yes, of course, Jesus has won the final victory, but we still feel the pressure of that battle right now. And what could be worse than being in a battle and not even knowing it, right? And so here's what you need to know is that if you are alive in Christ, if Christ is living in your heart by faith, then the same darkness that sought to snuff out the light of Christ in Bethlehem is also actively at work every single day even seeking to snuff out the light of Christ in you. Now, being aware of this battle is half the battle. You need to know and understand that whenever the living and active Word of God takes root into your heart and begins to change your attitudes, your actions, and your behaviors, and the course of your life, then that Word of God growing in you is going to attract the attention of the enemy of your soul, the darkness. So tell me, what happened to our Lord Jesus immediately after He was baptized? Immediately after he was baptized and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon him, what happened to our Lord? He was driven into the wilderness to be what? To be tempted. And so you who are baptized into Christ, you will be tempted and tested as well. In the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, Jesus tells us about the seed of God's word that is sown on different types of ground. Now, some of the seed never takes root. But some of it takes root in shallow ground. These little tiny green shoots spring up, but then they are attacked and they are tested since they have no deep root in Christ. They wither. So listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13. He says, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So do you see it here? That when God's word begins to take root in you and you start to experience growth as a Christian, that immediately there's going to be problems and trials and temptations and struggles that arise on account of that word that seek to destroy its growth in you. Just like Herod sought to destroy the Christ child. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, is if being a Christian means that I am a target of the darkness, if our trifold enemy, the world, the sinful nature, and Satan are all seeking to destroy the growth of Christ's life in us, then how do I resist? How do I endure these attacks? How do I remain strong and steadfast and immovable rather than wither? How do I continue to grow rather than have my faith die? Paul gives us a great answer in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In other words, Paul's saying, I want you to be aware of the battle that you are in. Don't be unaware. And I want you to stand your ground and defend yourself against all these assaults by taking refuge in all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for you. That's what it means to wear the armor of God. You see, the the steadfast, immovable, unbreakable love of Jesus Christ for you is the only armor, the only protection that you have in the battle. I believe that Paul is calling us to no longer live our Christian lives like we are on Christmas break. I don't know about you, but Christmas break is kind of this listless in-between time. It's the time of the year where you sometimes don't know what day it is, You wear your pajamas until noon, you eat cookies for breakfast, maybe lunch, and you tell yourself it's okay because you're going to work out today, January 1st, right? It's kind of an in-between time. And often we live our Christian lives this way without any real discipline or vigilance, vigilance, without any real focus or awareness of the battle that rages around us and even within us. And so the question that we need to wrestle with today is, how do we live our lives standing strong in the love of Christ in this new year? What does it look like for us to recognize every day that we are engaged in a battle, a battle in which the enemy of our souls is actively seeking to weaken and kill our faith in Christ? How would you live this new year if you knew you were in that battle? Martin Luther summarizes the Christian faith this way. He says, wearing the armor of God looks like this. It means that we're engaged in continual prayer and study and suffering. Let's say this together. Pray, study, suffer. Again, pray, study, suffer. Friends, this is the plan that God has for your life as a Christian. Let's start with prayer. So, we may look at prayer and say, this is just another thing I have to do. I have too many things to do. But friends, this is not just another thing to do. 
It's the most important thing to do. I mean, prayer is absolutely essential in the Christian life. It is our expressed dependence upon God. Prayer is utter dependence upon the love of Jesus Christ in every area of your life. It means that we bow down before Him on a daily basis and we admit, I can't. That's a good way to start your prayers. I can't. Apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing, but with you, Christ, I can do all things that you've given me to do. Prayer means we rely on everything Jesus has done for us as we do everything we've been called to do. That is simply what prayer is. Now, often I think we think of prayer as just asking God for stuff or maybe just earthly security, or we call out to God in emergencies or difficult times. And I encourage you to do that. That's a good thing, that we would turn to God when things are difficult or we have need. But sometimes our prayers can be summarized as, God, keep everybody safe and healthy and happy. Amen. And that's all we pray about. And so it's no wonder that prayer becomes boring or we even forget to pray because in a world where we often have everything we need and more, we don't think we really need prayer. But prayer becomes all the more interesting when you understand and you feel its urgency. When you have felt the heat of battle or you've lost your courage in the face of opposition, when you have given in to temptation or you've been worn out by its constant assault on you, This is when you start to understand how necessary prayer is. It's not an option. It's about desperation. How often is it that we enter into the day without our armor on, without prayer, that we enter into the Christian life in our own strength, unaware of the battle, unaware of the trials and the temptations and the traps that wait for us? But prayer means vigilant watchful reliance on Christ. See, there's a reason that Jesus commanded you to pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Why do you think Jesus told you to pray that every day? Isn't it because you're a temptable person? And so am I. That's why Jesus says every day, lead us not into temptation. Why is it that Jesus has told you to pray every day in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil? Because He knows that you're surrounded by evil and the evil clings so closely. He knows that we daily experience the assaults of the evil one. And so overall, what we're asking for when we devote ourselves to prayer is we're asking God to give us His Holy Spirit so that we're able to see and understand and experience everything in this life through the eyes of Christ and what He's done for us, ourselves, our relationships, our world, our responsibilities. So a question, a few questions I want you to ponder is, what habit of daily prayer will I take up in the new year? See, friends, the question isn't, will I pray in the new year? It's what habit of prayer? See, habits are those things we do every day. And sometimes we don't feel like doing it, but we do it anyways because it's good. What habit of prayer will I take up by God's grace in the new year? When is the best time for me to pray each day? Maybe it's right when you hit that coffee pot on. That's when you pray. Maybe it's during lunch. Maybe it's in the evening. Maybe it's all three but it's good that we would be intentional and have time set aside 
that we devote to prayer. It's not just in the emergency times that we pray, but it's a thing we devote ourselves to, even praying about things we don't think we need to pray about. And then finally, how can I invite other Christians into this habit of prayer with me? There's a reason that we gather for prayer in church, in worship, but we're also called to pray in our families, to pray in our relationships, to maybe find other Christians who pray with us and for us. So our devotion to prayer then presses us into the next category, which is study. And by this, I mean the study of the Scriptures, of God's living and active Word. You see, in prayer, we're conversing with God, but in Scripture study, we're patiently listening to God. And what this means is, as we study the Scriptures, we learn to see our life stories as part of a bigger story, the story of God's salvation from Genesis all the way to Revelation. See, one of the reasons that the, the darkness prevails against us in our own lives and in the church is because we think, and we've been trained to think this way by our culture, we think that God fits into our little life story. And we can kind of use God when He's useful to help us accomplish our dreams and goals and desires, but really it's the other way around. Our little small life stories actually fit into the big story of God's salvation from Genesis to Revelation. And so as we're studying the Scriptures, we're learning to see our life story within the bigger story of God and His plan to restore and reconcile all things in Christ. And that makes life a lot more interesting. Studying the Scriptures daily means that we begin to train our imagination, train our affections, train our emotions according to Christ and His Word rather than the wisdom of the world. So often we are helpless in the face of assaults on our faith because we simply do not know the Scriptures. But I can tell you that there is no greater way to develop a strong, resilient faith than by being in God's Word on a daily basis, both on your own and with others. Reading God's Word is nutrition for your soul. It's like an immune boost against the darkness around us. Our board of directors at Holy Cross is taking up a study this year in 2023 of the book Built on the Rock, The Healthy Congregation by Ted Kober. Uh, Ted Kober is an expert in leading conflicted congregations towards reconciliation. And so he's had decades and decades of experience of helping congregations who are kind of fighting with each other and just not moving forward to figure out their problems, be reconciled, and set goals now, one of the things that Ted Kober has noticed in over, uh, I think, three decades of working with congregations is this. The single greatest factor in determining the health of a congregation and how well they will weather conflict and difficulty is what percentage of people are in Bible study each Sunday. And so, Kober has noted that if a congregation's conflicted and they're not handling it well, it's because they have a low number of people in Bible study each week. But congregations that have a large amount of people in Bible study are able to weather conflict and disagreements faithfully, resiliently. 
So the greatest factor for a church's health isn't visionary leadership or a clear mission statement or inspirational worship services or numerical growth or location in the city or governance structure, whether we have a board or a council. Those are all important things. But the single greatest factor for church health is how many people are showing up for adult Bible study on Sunday? Now, thanks be to God that our church is not a conflicted, divided church. Thank God for that. But that doesn't mean that we won't be in the future if we run into major decisions or setbacks and we don't know God's Word. Because when we don't know God's Word, we act immaturely when we handle conflict. So our church is only as healthy as you are, and you are only as healthy as you know and you study God's Word. And I think that we have a great opportunity for renewed growth in this area. You know, it's been a joy for me as a pastor to see our attendance on Wednesday evenings grow. We've had so many people show up to Wednesday evenings for a meal together and then for study together as disciples. That's been encouraging to me. But I think we can really grow as far as our Sunday morning Bible study participation goes. Um, we have about 1,600 members at Holy Cross, right? You know how many people we have in Sunday morning Bible study? About 20, 25. Can we do better than that? I think we have to. We need to, right? Now, granted, you might study the Scriptures in a life group during the week, or maybe uh, you come to another Bible study that meets at Holy Cross, or maybe you study the Scriptures in your family. Like, we all have different rhythms in life, but, but we, we give so many hours of the week to things like sports and different activities, but why not give our hours to the most important things, the things that will give us resiliency and courage in our faith, the study of the Scriptures? Um, we have a lot more than 20, though, who are coming to the uh, Growing Disciples for Life study on Sunday. I think we're getting closer to 50. And so if you want to jump into that group, jump in, find a place to study uh, the Scriptures in this new quarter. And my prayer is that we just continue to keep a strong, steady presence in Bible study. You see, to the extent that we are in God's Word, we're growing. And to the extent that we are not, we're not growing. And we're leaving ourselves open to temptation. Our growth is stunted. And we're actually leaving our community open to the darkness. So some questions I want you to think about. How will I get into God's Word this year? The question isn't, will I get into God's Word? If you're a Christian, the question for you is, how will I get into God's Word? Maybe for you it's that Right when you wake up in the morning, you pray a psalm or two from the Scriptures. Maybe it's during your lunch break, you're going to read a chapter of the Gospels every day. Maybe you're going to get a devotional book that you read before bed. Maybe it's that you're going to sign up for a Bible study, that you're going to show up on Sunday mornings or Wednesday evenings or get involved in a life group. Maybe you're going to find a couple friends from the community that you can get coffee with once a week and you can read the Scriptures together. It doesn't really matter what we do, it matters that we do it, right? That we devote ourselves to the Scriptures. Next, who will I study with? Don't go at it alone. It's good to read the Scriptures on your own, but it's better to read them with others. When will I do this? 
And who can I ask for help if I'm having trouble or need some accountability? Few things give me more joy than when somebody from our church comes to my office and says, Pastor, I need you to help me understand this part of the Bible. And I'm like, that's why I'm here. (laughs) You're here. (laughs) Awesome. There are people on the staff that want to help you study the Scriptures. Uh, We have no greater joy than that. I mean, I think that sometimes we'll, we'll get into the Bible and we'll read it and we'll say, I don't get it, and we just quit. Don't quit. Keep going. Ask questions. Find people who can help you and stay accountable to, to that. Number three, this is the one we don't like, but it's necessary. The third thing is that we suffer. Now, by suffering, I don't mean just bodily ailments, like that we feel pain in our body. This can be part of what we're talking about. But the idea of suffering, what Luther meant by that is that you experience resistance, that you experience pressure in this life, that you experience temptation and trial and setback, and and sometimes even failure. But it's those things that you experience that actually press you back into prayer with desperation and press you into the Scriptures so that you can know them. And so our Christian life becomes this cycle of we pray, we study, we suffer. We realize our limitations and our weaknesses, and it pushes us back into prayer and study and suffer. Pray, study, suffer again and again and again. And just like you take metal... And you forge it on an anvil, right, beating it under extreme heat. This is the process by which God grows us. So, for example, um, I think the, the most miserable form of exercise in the world is doing squats. Does anybody like to do those? I avoid them at all costs. I don't like them. I don't have good form. And, uh, but I know they're good for me. Now, I can eat all the right foods, you know, the protein that's going to help my body build itself up after exercising. I can eat all the right foods, and I can watch a video on how to do proper squats, but it doesn't help me unless I actually feel the burn and do them. And so in the same way, we can pray and ask God for help, and, and we can study the scriptures and, and learn God's will from them. But it's when we get thrown out into the difficulties of life in our, in our callings, in our work, in our vocations, that we actually begin to feel the burn and we get torn down that we might get built up over and over and over again, just like exercise. We break our muscles down, we build them back up. This is what happens in suffering. See, as a Christian, you feel pressure in your relationships, in your responsibilities, in your emotions, and sometimes even in your body. You feel the resistance that comes from being people of light in a dark world. And it's this pressure, this suffering, this temptation, this trial that you experience that pushes you into deeper growth. And what's amazing is that God takes the very darkness that the enemy intends to use to kill your faith, and God uses that pressure from the darkness to actually build your faith. Isn't that the way it worked with the cross of our Lord Jesus? All the powers of hell thought they had accomplished the greatest thing, that the darkness had prevailed when Christ died. But what was God doing? He was taking the darkness and using it to bring about the light of the resurrection. And so now you, redeemed by Christ, God is using even the presence of darkness, that pressure from the darkness in your life, to give you a resilient faith. This is what it says in the book of James. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, that you might be mature. So some thoughts for us to think about in conclusion. Where am I experiencing suffering, trial, and temptation in my life? Where am I feeling the burn? Where am I feeling pressure? And how are these things an opportunity for me to find refuge in the love of Christ through deeper prayer and study? And finally, how might God be getting my attention through these difficulties? showing me my need for deeper study and prayer. Friends, may God give us his Holy Spirit that we would be a people of prayer in this new year, a people devoted to the study of scriptures, and also that in our sufferings, in our trials, pressures, and temptations, that God, the Holy Spirit, would form in us a faith that endures to the very end. May God grant it for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Amen.